today, I'm going to wrap up this series on these three words that I feel like God has given us in recent months on multiplication, regionalization, and generational transfer. Now, I've done a sermon on each of these. We've mostly been in the book of Acts. If you've missed them, they're on the podcast. I do encourage you, if you're, if you're you know, an integral part here at the tab, if you consider this to be your home, your movement in the network, um, then I encourage you to listen to these. Um, I feel like God is setting a course for us uh, for the future. And honestly, I wasn't going to preach another message on this. Obviously, last week, if you were here, there wasn't a sermon. I'll say more about that in a little bit. Lots of scripture, by the way. Did you notice that? How the word of God came forth in that gathering? Um, but not exactly a sermon. Um, and I thought that would be wrapping this series up. But I just had one more thing in my heart that I wanted to speak to. And then I might, it might be too much, honestly. We'll see. However you feel about it at the end is fine. Um, we'll see. And honestly, after this message, I kind of want to stop talking about ourselves, um, stop talking about the tab and what's going on here. And let's, let's get back to in these services just focusing on Jesus. Um, but this has been good, I think, to just acknowledge, you know, what is happening, you know, among us. And some of you are newer, you know, to the tab, so maybe this is helpful for you as well. Um, yeah, so this is, this is where I wanted to end up today. As we, oh, before I go any further, this word, generational transfer, um, I just want to point out something. God does these prophetic things that I just think are interesting. I don't always know what to make of them, but it's interesting. Um, you know, God will often speak a word, and I think he has spoken this to us in recent months, multiplication, regionalization, generational transfer. That might come prophetically or whatever, but we're quick to go to the word of God, which is why we've been in, you know, the book of Acts these last few weeks. So in recent months, there's been all this prophetic stuff, I mean, dreams and prophetic words and all these things, but we see it in the word of God. We let the word of God make sense of what of what uh, we're, we're experiencing. We look to the word of God as our authority. Um, but when we agree with these words, things start to happen that are just interesting to me. Um, so I just want to point out just what my morning has been like on the generational transfer thing. Uh, many of you are really newer to the tab, even in the last couple years. Um, but uh, our church has a long history, in 104 years, I think, this year. Um, and I just wanted to point out something, that this morning I found out that uh, someone who was part of our church when our church was down on Irwin Street in Plan 12, um, and uh, this person and their spouse was in leadership um, at our church, it just ended up giving us a pretty sizable gift this last week, uh, feeling like they just needed to seed into this generational transfer thing that's happening that's significant. I mean, they were part of the move of God that was happening. They don't even live in this state. They just were watching what was happening online and something, you know, agreed in their heart and they wanted to give to that. Um, you'll get to meet them more later, but I wanted to point out that David and Meryl Smock are here uh, today and we'll introduce them. Why don't you guys stand up real fast? Um, we had... We had, and you'll be hearing from them uh, sometime in the next few weeks, but David and Meryl um, were here a few weeks ago kind of visiting. We had a service on, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you were here that night, we had fun, didn't we? Um, and they were here for that service. And 
they, long story, they'll tell it sometime, but they have some really interesting connections to Crestmont, um, including a prophetic word that was released over 10 years ago, and I remember it so clearly. I didn't talk to you guys that Sunday, but I remember the Sunday you were here, and it was a prophetic word that God gave us early on in our renewal that we really clung to um, early on, just believing that, that God was going to do something. So it's interesting that they're here. And then um, I just want to point out that Jim and Luann Eaton are here as well, and many of you know them. Let's just welcome them. And Maddie. And, um, and uh, I just want to point out, like, it's really interesting to me when I walk in on a Sunday morning and some of these, like, generational things just all connect. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and, and just what I hear in my heart on, the, on this generational transfer word, and I really need to get to my sermon here, um, but what I hear in my heart is God's just saying yes to this generational transfer thing, to multiplication, to regionalization. Of course he's going to say yes. It's his own word, right? So he'll do what he says. But it's like, the, it's like today I just feel the yes in God's heart for all of this transferring and multiplying and sending and, you know, all of this stuff. So I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but it's kind of fun to talk about it. All right, here we go. Matthew 11. Um, today, more than multiplication, regionalization, and generational transfer, I, I want to talk not just about doing these things, but the spirit in which we do them. Because that's really more important than doing them, isn't it? You know, it says in 1 Corinthians, I don't have the verse up here for you, but it says in 1 Corinthians that all of us who are part of missional movements, who are leading missional communities, who are preaching like this, who are praying for people, who are serving the poor in their communities, who are organizing people for service, all, all the things that you guys do, and you do so much of it. Um, someday, we're going to stand in front of Jesus, and what we did is going to be judged by him. And it's not a judgment for salvation. It's, I'm so glad our salvation isn't dependent on the quality of our ministry, aren't you? I'm really glad for that. Um, but he is going to judge the purity of it. And his eyes will see through to the real motivations of things that maybe people couldn't see. Um, on that day, I think we'll be surprised because there are people whose ministries were concealed here on earth that will be glorified there. Um, as Jesus points out what was good and holy about things that people did here on earth that maybe were never applauded, never noticed, um, but Jesus won't miss it. Um, and there will be things that got applauded and celebrated down here that, as it turns out, will not mean much there. Um, the language that the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians is to say that it will be burnt up. It will be like hay or wood. It will not survive the fire of God's presence because of the spirit in which it was done, even if it was good and even if God used it and won't survive his holiness. Um, I've been thinking about that more and more for whatever reason at this stage of my ministry that I just don't want to do things that are going to burn up on that day. You know, like I want to I do things that prove to be gold you know, that proved to be something that lasts, you know, through, through that fire. Um, and so it, it's not just about what we do, multiplication, regionalization, generational change. We could talk about these things, doing them. We know we should do them. Okay. But there's a spirit that I think God calls us to in doing it. And I, I want you to know, I hope this hits you as an encouraging sermon today because here at the tab, 
um, this is what I see in so many of you. Um, it, it's what I was, it's why my heart was so full after our service on Sunday. I'm sure not all of you were here last Sunday, but we had a Sunday last week that I'm sure we will not forget, you know, anytime soon. It was just one of those Sundays, right? We, over the years, we have just had these moments, right, where the Spirit of God just wrecks us, right? That was last Sunday, right? Um, but, it, but it's interesting, I, I got a prophetic word years ago that God would give us grace to stand underneath that, that sometimes it would knock us over, but, but there would also be grace to stand. And that's interesting because of how God has called us on mission, right? One thing about this place is we'll have these Sundays where it just feels like overwhelming, and then we're back out there doing it, right? At our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, serving our neighbors, you know, with the love of Jesus. And it's just like that flow, you know, keeps happening, you know, back and forth, a mission, and then being, you know, in God's presence. Um, and so uh, all of that, all of that is special and it's good, but I just feel like today God is drawing our attention to not just that it happens, but how it happens in the spirit in which it happens. And I saw what I'm talking about today, last Sunday, and so many of you. I have so many snapshots in my mind um, as that played out. It brought me to tears multiple times throughout the week. Um, so I want to look at the words of Jesus as he describes a posture of receiving the kingdom, not just that we do kingdom things, but the posture in which we do them, um, how we position ourselves, how, the posture of our hearts in receiving what he's giving. And it's here at the end of Matthew 11, beginning in verse 25. It says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Now, I was remarking to a friend last week. We were just reflecting on our service last week. And by the way, our, our online feed was a little messed up. It was no one's fault. Something just went wrong. It was glitchy. So you can kind of see it online if you missed it. It's okay if you missed it. Um, but I was reflecting with a friend last week on the, the manifestations of the Spirit that were happening in this room, spontaneous baptisms, weeping and laughing, and all of these things kind of happening at once, you know, for a couple hours. And what struck me the most was how remarkably childlike it was. How last Sunday, we kind of came in here and just acted like kids for a couple hours. And do you notice in those environments, do you notice how well our kids fit in? Isn't it interesting? When Jesus is, is showing up like that with his presence, our kids just fit in so easy. We don't got to send them anywhere. As a matter of fact, we called them back up from downstairs, right? Because they fit in perfectly to those kinds of environments, right? Why? Because it's not sophisticated. Because it's not, like, it's kind of laughable. You know what I mean? Like, there's things we did last Sunday that I'm not sure we would ever make regular practice <laughs> around here. But it's okay, right? Because we were figuring it out, right, as we went along. Um, and there's something just about this posture of childlikeness. And whenever we talk about mission and network and all this stuff, and I, I think we have a sense that a lot of the prevailing church uh, doesn't always resonate with some of the things that we talk about here. I get all of that, but let us never confuse 
you know, that with thinking that we're sophisticated somehow. Because the kingdom of God is hidden from the wise and the learned. <laughs> and it's given to the kids. It's given to the children. I would say, as soon as we think we're wise and learned about something, we'll see the fire of whatever he's doing here um, lose some of its heat, you know? Um, so there's something just so special about staying in this childlike place. It kind of looks silly, but God will use it, right? Verse 26, yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Can't you just hear Jesus' joy in this? Like, this is the son praying to the father, just being like, God, you just give your stuff away to the, the people you wouldn't expect, just to the kids, to the, just give your stuff away, just hear Jesus' joy. And we felt that joy last week. Verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So if the first posture is childlikeness, the second one is Christ-centeredness, Right? We've been saying this, if you've been coming to ground, that we've been saying there is no unchristlikeness in God, right? If you want to know what God is like, look at this man, Jesus. If you really want to understand what God's heart is like, how he uses his power, if you really want to know what God is like and how he works and what his priorities are, what the kingdom of God looks like, then look at this man, Jesus, because there's no unchristlikeness in God, Right? Um, whatever we learn about God, even from the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the New Testament, um, it, we take that through the prism of Jesus, right? We have to understand Jesus to understand God. And so there's this posture of laser-focused Christ-centeredness that we don't preach ourselves, but we preach him. We don't preach just positions or morals. We preach him, Right? We preach Jesus, and so that's a second posture, and Jesus is centering himself again in this passage. But verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Weary and burdened by what? In context, we know that Jesus is talking about a particular wearisome burdenness. And it's the kind that comes from performance-based religion. It's the kind that the religious leaders have put on the people in Jesus' day. And Jesus is saying, oh, you're burdened down by religious leaders? You're burdened down by performance-oriented religion? Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. And this is a word for some of you in this season because God is stirring up some of your callings. Some of you are being called to do more or to do new things. And I, I am, for some reason, when God calls me to do something more or God calls me something to do something um, you know, more expanded or whatever, I have felt that way in recent months, I often confuse it as an invitation to try harder. Right? Oh, God wants me to do more. I'm going to work. You know what I mean? Like, I mean? It makes no sense. Because at every invitation to more, God is giving more of himself. Can I just be transparent with you? I had good, two good snot cries in the last couple weeks. And, and it took me a minute to figure out why I was crying. And if you were there with me, I'm sorry. I might not have been able to understand why I was crying. But... But here's, here's why I think I was crying. It's like God was just revealing to me again 
this is not about you trying harder, Joel. So I, I'm a pretty, I can be a pretty performance-oriented person. I forget this. Um, this is not about you trying harder, pushing harder, making something happen. If God is inviting us to something, it's in this posture of rest, right? And so you don't need to be scared of the increase of anointing on your life or the increase of calling on your life. You do not need to be scared of that because it is not an invitation for you to perform harder or something. That's not what Jesus is calling to. He's actually calling us to this place of surrendered rest. And then this is really what I want to focus on, maybe my favorite thing of how I see Jesus in you, Tab family. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke being a traditional metaphor in Jewish terminology for taking on uh, a way of life, a way of teaching. Jesus is like exchange the yoke of religion that does not give life for a yoke that does my yoke. And he's saying, you're going to find that it's light. And then look at how Jesus describes himself. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's think about that gentleness. A lot of times around here, we'll talk about gentleness as the attitude that says, I don't have to control you, right? So if I want you to walk through that door and I'm not gentle, I'm pushing you through, right? Or if I'm not physically pushing you through, I'm trying to manipulate you with words and emotions to do what I want you to do, which is to walk through this door. Gentleness is something else entirely. Gentleness illuminates choices. You can walk through the door, but it does not force you. And somehow, of all people that carry this quality, I mean, gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Of all the people who carry this quality, God himself is somehow gentle. God himself somehow comes to us in a posture of meekness and humility and somehow comes, in all of this power, all of this strength, somehow comes to us in gentleness. I bet if you think back to your story and think about the times when Jesus came to you, you probably see this. You can probably testify to it, how patient he was, how humble he was, how gentle he was in our stories. Just winning us over by his gentle friendship. It means that he's often not in as much of a rush as you and I are. You think he'd be in a rush to sanctify us. You think he'd be in a rush to make things right. But there's this plotting in Jesus because he's gentle. And all along the way, that plotting somehow makes room for his love to do the real work. I think this is radical in the day in which we live, to think that Jesus is humble, that he is gentle, that this is who he is. If there's no unchristlikeness in God, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. That he is gentle. It, it's radical because we live in a day and age when gentleness is certainly not, you know, celebrated or, or you know, encouraged. In particular, when we feel that we are right. Right? In the day in which we live, being right about something seems to be an excuse to not be gentle at all. Right? It's like... We want everyone to respect each other unless I'm right and you're wrong. And then 
not only am I not going to be gentle, but it actually, in the day in which we live, the spirit of the age is speaking in this way, it feels like it is actually virtuous to not be gentle. That what is righteous is to take our right position and to make sure that everybody agrees with it, that everybody conforms to it, right? And I'm not suggesting that there isn't right and wrong. Oh, there's right and there's wrong. I'm just saying that in the spaces where we might even know we're right, maybe even from the scriptures, there's a tendency to not see that Jesus is gentle as well, humble in heart. And I think this is really important as a church, as a movement gets to know what it is, gets to articulate its convictions. I think it's important that we remember that even as God reveals to us what he has made us in this time and in this place, and although he invites us to believe in those things and be confident in those things, it is not an excuse to forsake gentleness because this is what Jesus is like. Let me share with you a story about our church, if I can. I think maybe I did reference this story once quickly in a sermon, and I have blogged about it, so some of you may have uh, heard of it, uh, but, but it's going to set the stage for the rest of what we do this morning. So let me just reshare the story again, and forgive me if you're hearing it again. You know, I came on staff 17 years ago, and our church has been through so much change. I mean, just so much. If you've been here for the uh, few people in this room, we're here for that whole journey. But if you were, you know, you know. I mean, it's just so much. Um, and, you know, God was leading us and shaping us. But I can tell you, uh, part of the process of being a leader in that mix is you have to learn what to do with your own anxiety, in part because you're trying to figure out what to do with the anxiety of other people, right? So, you know, change always makes us afraid, particularly of loss. Uh, we know that change is going to mean loss, so we feel afraid, and then you're trying to lead people who are afraid, and then and you feel afraid too, you know, um, in the midst of all that. So I've been in that space a lot over the last, you know, 17 years. And one thing I've, I have learned to do is to take those feelings to Jesus, just to turn to him, you know, again and again. Well, a few years ago, I was in Atlanta, which I'm there frequently, and I was praying at the gravesite of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And if, if you're close to me, you know it's a place I go to pray. And it's often a place where God has spoken to me. Um, and on this day, I was particularly heavy because I just had this gnawing feeling that the changes and the decisions we had made around here were going to sink the whole ship. Um, and I thought to myself, I think like we had just celebrated our 100th anniversary I thought to myself, I was like, this church lasted 100 years. The Great Depression, World War II, the steel mill closing down in Aliquippa, and it's going to sink under my leadership. <laughs> you know, I thought, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, and uh, I just felt terrified. Um, and I could tell that the decisions we were making were having greater and greater consequence that we're going to have consequence for relationships and finances. And man, I was just feeling the weight of all of that. So I was in Atlanta. Actually, I wouldn't have had time to go to MLK's uh, grave site, but Devontae and I were going to speak at Toccoa Falls College, and a crazy tropical storm blew through. And uh, it shut everything down for a day, so they delayed my speaking date. So this means when I went to Atlanta that day, 
uh, like nobody was in the city. It was eerie. Like there was a lot of debris on the streets. This tropical storm had just come through. And I'm walking around praying, and uh, I was using a liturgy that I sometimes use, and I prayed from the Psalms, let all the earth be silent. Um, and in the Psalms, that's often an invitation for God to speak. Like, stop talking. He's about to say something, you know? So I, I read that. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So I prayed that loud. I'm walking around the city. I'm telling you, there is nobody around. You know what I mean? Like, so I can pray out loud. Like, I can wave my arms. No one's around. Um, but I come around the corner right after I prayed that. I know some of you heard the story before. There's a homeless woman in front of me. And I could just tell by the things she was carrying, the way she was dressed, she was likely homeless. And, um, and the next day at Tekoa, I was going to be preaching on the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that parable where all the religious leaders pass up the person in need? Um, and when I first saw her, she was on, I was on, I'm sorry, we were on the same side of the street. And I thought, I'm going to go to the other side of the street because I'm praying right now and I don't want to interact with her. And then I thought, wait a second, I'm preaching on that passage tomorrow. Like literally tomorrow. <laughs> like I cannot do, like it literally says in that passage, look it up, that the religious leader went to the other side. of the. I was like, I just can't do that. So I thought, I'll stay on this side. Now, I never have cash on me, almost never, but because I had driven down the day before and there were tolls, I had money in my pocket. I had a five and two ones, and I think the amount of money I had was significant. It was $7 um, in my pocket. And I just felt a nudge from the Lord and said, give her what's in your pocket, you know? So I walk up from behind her and uh, introduce myself. Her name was Mary. And, um, and I gave her not $7. I gave her the $5 bill and kept the two in my pocket, which is not what Jesus told me to do, but that's what I did. I give, her, I give her the five, and she says, hey, I have something for you. She was holding a rose, and uh, there's a beautiful rose garden there in memory of Coretta Scott King, and the storm had blown off some of the blooms, and so she said, I never would have picked this rose. Um, she said, but the storm blew it down, and she said, I'm just enjoying it. She took a, a deep, you know, smell. She said, you want to smell it? I smelled it, very fragrant. We're, in, we're just kind of delighting in this rose together. And she said, I want you to have this. And she hands it to me, so there's an exchange. I give her $5, she gives me. And then I just felt the Lord tell me, like, <clears throat> you have $2 in your pocket. <laughs> and so, so I pull the $2 out, I give it to her. Um, and she says, what are you doing here? Um, and I said, well, I'm here praying. And I'll never forget the look on her face. She closed her eyes, and she said, hmm. She said, I love to pray here, too. Um, and uh, she said, this is a good place to pray. And then she leaned in. Now, mind you, I had been walking around the grave site. You know, Ebenezer Baptist Church is there where MLK preached. I mean, it's this historic site. And... I'm walking around, you know, praying, and just worried about so many things, you know, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I going to kill the church? Am I, you know, all this stuff. I'm stressed out, and, um, and that's what I've been praying about, and she leans into me, and she says, you know, sometimes God just wants you to know that you just need to keep doing what you're doing, and he's going to take care of it. Um, it was a prophetic word, you know? 
And I'm just telling you how it hit me. For the next like two or three hours, I paced back and forth between the Jimmy Carter uh, Presidential Library and the MLK sites, I don't know, a couple miles, a mile, two miles between those locations, just pacing back and forth, praying. And I, something just got settled in my heart that I was going to let God make us be who he wanted us to be, even if this whole thing did die. That the only way for it to really live was to let it die. And I just had to settle that in my heart and not worry about what people thought about me or whatever. But here's, here's why, prophetically, this is why it was so significant. I had $7 in my pocket that I gave to her and couldn't have planned this, obviously. $7 that I gave to her, she represented three of the things that had caused the most controversy at our church over 15 years. And here's what they were. First of all, she was poor. And over the years, something, it felt like we had missed something in our Bibles, right, over the years. And it was God's heart for the poor. It was like, no, God is always moving towards the poor. He's always meeting us in our poverty. And it was like we had lost that revelation of God's heart somehow in our history. It's what we were started in. But we somehow had lost some of that. And it's like God was renewing that. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, she was a woman. Over the years here at the tab, we realized it was like we, we had missed something in our Bible about what leadership should look like in the church, about what shared leadership looks like in the church, about what it looks like to mutually submit. And because we had missed that part of God's heart, it meant that for many years, our women here at the tab just did not have all the opportunities that God might be calling them to, to lead or to start something or to, and we were seeing renewal in that and women were beginning to preach again around here and all of that, but it had been a long time and that created some controversy. Um, both of those things create controversy. And then she prophesied to me. And this had been another thing. A friend of mine once told me, if you really want to make church folks angry, talk about justice for the poor, empower women, and, and start embracing the Holy Spirit. He said that to me, and I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, man. And so, and so, um, so then she prophesied to me, right? And, and you know, we'd been on this journey of rediscovery. Our church was very much started in these roots. I mean, if you'd heard, hear about the early healing services, you know, that happened over the hill here in Plan 12, but all of those things have been controversial, for sure, and had caused some disruption, you know, over the years. Our church, And there I was, giving everything to this. And the number seven is significant to God. Give it all. Don't hold back. Don't be embarrassed about the peculiar things that God has made you. I just felt all of that. It was like, I'm just going to do it, you know, and let's just see what happens, you know. I don't claim to know everything. There's a lot I don't understand, but let's just give what we have to the thing that God has called us to. I just settled that, you know, in my heart that day. And look, she gave something back. It wasn't money. I think, I think one of the underlying fears I had was if we, if we keep being so controversial, uh, are we, is this going to be sustainable? Um, are we just going to lose all of our support? And these are things I had to think about. Um, but we, I, I was holding this beautiful rose. It was like I heard the Lord say, provision will come back to you, not in the way you expect. It will be different. You're not going to get back what you gave away, but it's going to be beautiful. And you'll get to enjoy it. 
and it's going to be given to you. Well, that was years ago. I feel like all of that has happened in the last few years. And now, in a remarkable way, these are things that we can talk about openly around here and not be embarrassed about. I don't feel like for, for many years now I've had to justify a lot of these things. It's just like, I, I just feel this like, like we're okay with who we are and we're not everything, not, not by a long shot. And we're not a big deal. We're not everything, but who God has made us to be, like we're okay with it, you know, as a tab family, even if it's misunderstood. But this is why this posture of humility and gentleness is so important. You know, come back to this passage. Friends, those three things, justice, the Holy Spirit, shared leadership, these are things that my heart beats for. These are things that are important to us as a TAB family. They are important to our network. They are things that people notice about us when they come around us. And yet, these things in and of themselves do not make a movement. These things in and of themselves are not enough. They do not constitute a posture of humility and gentleness. I would suggest to you that it is possible to do justice. It is possible to, to embrace the Holy Spirit. It is possible in the gifts of the Spirit. It is possible to embrace modes of shared leadership that are not in the posture of what Jesus says he is, which is gentle and humble. Let me explain. On justice. We live in a time where our culture yearns for justice. You hear it on all sides, no matter your political persuasion. You hear it on all sides, longs for what is right. It's because a, cultural, a culture only has a certain amount of tolerance for the kind of radical individualism that leaves what's right and wrong up to the individual alone. Eventually that breaks down and people are tired. They long to know what's right and wrong and to identify with a tribe that believes the same thing as they believe. And that accounts for a lot of the tribalism, political and otherwise, that we're seeing in, in our culture. But I want you to know, I, I, my heart beats for justice. It, it says in our value statements that we amplify the voices of the poor. I'm so committed to that. And yet, can I also tell you this? I have found that some people in some justice circles are some of the most moralistic people you'll ever meet. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, some of the most judgmental people I know are people whose lives are given over to justice. And you understand how it could happen, right? Because you're so passionate for, about what is wrong, and you want to see, you know, what is wrong made right. I mean, this is deep emotional territory. And sometimes I think in those circles, it creates this environment where you have to say everything right about issues of justice, and you have to get all your vocabulary right, and, you, and it's almost like, have you been loud enough? I read a really interesting article um, written by a guy who left the church of his youth, not just the church, the faith of his youth, and became an advocate for justice, for a justice-seeking organization, and in ways that, that probably we would say are outside of the bounds of scripture, but he was, something in him was yearning to make what was wrong in the world as he saw it right. And you know what he was writing about in this article? 
how exhausting it had become. That this yoke was not easy and it was not light. I know a lot of people who are activists for justice who are burnt out, tired, because the yoke was too heavy for them to carry. Um, And he said, you know what's so interesting? He said, now, he said, when I was growing up in church, he said, I felt like the church was so judgmental. He said, they're always judging, you know, you know, if you said the right thing or did the right thing or, and he said, so I left all that behind, so I don't want to be part of that anymore. And he said, now I'm in this other group where no one really even believes in God, but they're seeking after justice. And he said, guess what I found out? It is just as judgmental over here. He said, it's like, did you show up at the right protest? Did you say the right thing on Facebook? Did you, you know, it's just, it gets exhausting, right? So in and of itself, it can't be what saved us. Let me ask you, could the Gospel Tab, could the Greenhouse Network ever seek justice enough to be considered righteous to God? Could we ever serve the poor enough? Could we ever amplify the voices of those who are on the margins enough to satisfy God's requirement? For righteousness. I don't think that we could. Um, let's take the Holy Spirit. I love the Spirit of God. And I know you do too. But can I just say, I know people who speak in tongues who are some of the most judgmental people. And here's why. It's because like pride has formed around them. What a weird thing. Something that, something that is meant, if, if, you know, if you're not sure what you think about tongues and stuff, that's fine. There's a sermon on our podcast you can listen to. But I'm just like, I'm just like, something that is kind of meant to look foolish and childlike, babbling to God, how does this somehow become a badge of pride? We have something that other people don't have. Um, it must grieve the heart of God. There's a moralism that can surround even the things of the Holy Spirit. And could we ever speak in tongues enough to be justified by a holy God? Could, could we ever heal the sick enough to be justified by a holy God? Like, like, we might think we have more than somebody else, but according to God's standard? Um, or this whole thing, you know, with shared leadership. I... I fully believe in the directions that, that we've gone in that said we've got to share leadership. We can't have a leadership model that is centered around a person or a personality or a kind of person. We've got, this is what the kingdom of God does, just gives itself away. And that has hopefully over the years created more room, particularly for the women of this church to lead and follow their callings. But could we ever do that enough? Could we ever do that fully that those issues are just like, you know what I mean, according to, could we ever dignify each other enough? Do you know what I'm saying? Like to be justified before God. And I find that sometimes in those circles, here's what's happened. For segments of the church, and it's probably been us in the past and still us to some degree, we adopt systems of leadership in the church that are not what Jesus imagined at all. They're about power and control not humility and gentleness. And then we realize that that has left certain groups out in large segments of the church. One of those groups is women. And then to fix it, it's like we take the bad, stinking fruit of that system and share it with the ladies. And they're like, here, you can be part of this bad, stinking system too. 
and we call that justice. Um, I, think, I, think here's how, I think here's how God fixes these issues between men and women in the church. It's when those who historically have had the attention and have had the opportunity just become humble and gentle. <laughs> it makes room. It undercuts that whole system anyway. But do you see what I'm saying, Jake? If you could come up and play. Do you see what I'm saying, friends? I guess there's just a warning in my heart today as we celebrate what we've become, as we go towards the things that God's called us to. And these three things I'm talking about, among other things that are present in our movement, I want to be clear. I believe in these things. And yet, these things are not our story. They're not our song. Jesus is. Right? And when Jesus is in the center of the story, I find that he moves in justice in communities because he will include the poor. It's in his heart to do it. I find that when Jesus is the center of the story, oh, he will manifest in the room because when someone speaking in tongues or getting healed or laughing or crying, that's Jesus moving around the room and that's why we love it. It's because it's him. It's not because we just love those things. We love Jesus and this is what Jesus looks like in a room in the day in which we live. He does these things. Sometimes it looks like other things too, but he can look like those things. And so that's why we love it. Um, you know, why do we share leader? Why would we try? I, I question these days if I've done enough. I know I haven't. You know, to divest myself of power, to give up control. But here's why I know it is the way of Jesus. Why, why would we try to be humble and gentle? Well, it's because this is how Jesus, this is how God extended himself in Christ to the world in gentleness, in humility. And whatever it looks like to lead in justice, it can't look like having to have control. It can't look like always being the loudest person in the room. Um, I get angry too, and some of you too do as well when you see injustices. But anger is a bright flame that flames out pretty quickly. You know, we, we're going to need something deeper for the long haul if we're going to see justice flow in our communities, in our region. And I think it's Jesus. It's his presence. He's full of justice for the oppressed, right? And he'll do these really creative things. Can I tell you a really controversial story? I feel, I feel like there's less controversy around here lately, but let's make some. <laughs> can, I, can I share you a controversial story? I find this to be so creative. I don't know how you'll feel about it. I find it to be creative. I have a friend who was an activist in a poor neighborhood where people were living in public housing that was just infested by rats. Uh, we found a rat in our backyard in the last few weeks. Uh, those things are big. You know what I mean? Like, it was dead, but that's a big, that's a big thing, you know? Um, well, this apartment, these apartments were just infested by rats. Well, how do you bring justice to that situation? They had talked to the apartment managers. They were not securing change for these poor families. By the way, that's an abomination to God, that the poor would be treated like that in any society. People that he loves, people that he died for, it's just, he's not okay with that. So how, how do we address it? Do we get loud? Do we, you know, what do we do? And listen, I'm not, I, I don't know all the answers, but let me tell you what my friend did. He was a Christian. 
they trapped and killed a bunch of these rats, um, which was serving the neighborhood because these rats were a problem. I mean, a whole heap of them they got. And then they walked into the apartment manager's, um, yeah, and they just dumped those rats on his desk. And, um, and they were creating a picture. Now, that sounds, I don't know how you feel about it, if that's like Christian or not. I don't know. You can decide how you feel. But, but here's what I see. That is remarkably nonviolent. It's interesting. It's actually remarkably gentle because they're not in charge of anything, right? It's actually taking a posture. of. And here's what you need to know about gentleness and humility. Don't underestimate what it can do. Don't underestimate the change it can create. Don't underestimate the way God can use that stuff. Don't think that to say we're humble and gentle means we're giving up or that we have no hope or that things can't change. Please don't call it that because I'll tell you what, within like a week, that apartment building was exterminated and that pleases Jesus, right? Um, Creative. I don't know, you might do it differently. It's why we've structured the network the way we have. You might have different solutions to that kind of thing. That's fine. There's freedom in our movement for you to figure it out and even disagree with each other. But that's just what he did. And it made a difference, you know? Nonviolent, not having to be in control, didn't have to get elected to public office, just kind of in gentleness. Said, hey, pay attention to these rats, Right? Over the years, with the Spirit of God and the, and the manifestations that have showed up around here, you know, the church was started in that stuff, but I remember, uh, you know, years ago, we started to just see the inklings of these things, you know, healing and spiritual gifts that we hadn't seen for a long time show up. And, you know, over the years, we, on one hand, we've said, look, we have to be unapologetic about that stuff because we see it in the Bible and we can't be slave to people's fears. And we realize that sometimes this stuff does make people uncomfortable. I get it. I've been there, actually. That was my journey. Um, And so we have to be unapologetic, but that does not mean we have to be rude. And, And I think if you hang out around here, what I hope you'll find is a community of people where you see something happen. You know, two weeks ago, someone spoke in tongues in this service, and there was an interpretation. You may have, or three weeks ago, you may have seen that before. You may never have seen that. But I hope friends, that we're a community of people that you can have space to ask questions. You can have space to wrestle with the scriptures, wrestle with us in relationship, and that something as foolish as speaking in tongues does not become some kind of barometer for your spirituality. Um, But that we can just journey together with this. Over the years, we've had so many college students come to us and be like, y'all are weird. Like, I don't know what to think about you guys. I don't know what to think about all this. But I think they didn't just find our weirdness, which I can't, I can only mitigate that so much. You know what I mean? But I think they didn't just find our weirdness. I think they found space created by love to ask questions, to gentleness. There's a door. You can go through it. But I'm going to be gentle with you, right? Um, the same with our, like, shared life together. I hope that that our shared style of leadership hasn't come from jockeying for position, but
but by us outdoing each other in love, by asking, how can I give up more control? How can I give up more power? I'm telling you, I feel this, when I pray for the tab and the network right now, I feel this so strong in my spirit to the degree that we radically give ourselves up, we will see movement beyond what we can imagine. I just feel it every time I go to war. And this makes sense because this is what Jesus did on the cross. He was so gentle that he didn't say a word in front of Pilate. He was so gentle that he let the accusations come in front of the Sanhedrin. He was so gentle that although he could have called an army of angels, he did not. He was so gentle that he let himself be nailed to that cross. He was so gentle that his body was laid in a grave in utter weakness. And from that grave came life. That's the revelation of God's heart that he's giving to us. And friends, I'm preaching this to you, but I want you to know, I see it in so many of you. It was so beautiful. Last week, I mean, what a party. And... There was so much happening, and there was, you know, a high degree of manifestation. I just, I love it. I love you guys. It's awesome. Hopefully there's more of it. You know, we're going to get together and pray tonight. See what happens. Um, but what I really loved was people caring for each other. We had these spontaneous baptisms. You guys are, like, covering each other up. We pulled out those royal green robes that we hadn't had for a long time. Jake cannot wait to pull those back out for the worship team. Um, we, <laughs> by the way, I posted a couple pictures on Facebook yesterday and I'm like, people are standing in choir robes in a horse trough. <laughs> um, I'm like, if you have no context with this, I'm just like, well, it is what it is. Um, you know, but, I love all that, but it's like people were like caring for each other. And, you know, someone would be anointing someone and that person would melt and just fall apart crying and someone else would just pick up the oil and keep going. It's just beautiful. Outdo each other in humility. Outdo each other in love. And that to me is the most critical, important thing that God has given this movement so far, right? Is a revelation that down there is the blessing is a revelation that going low is where God will meet us in the most power. So I love all this on multiplication, regionalization, generational transfer, you know, radical empowerment, a radical yes. I love leading men and women side by side. I love all the gifts of the Spirit. I love being a people of justice. But I love the revelation of Jesus' heart of gentleness to us. And he's so gentle that it means if, if any of this at any point is overwhelming to you, He'll be gentle with you, even among us. There's room for your questions. There's room for you to figure things out. There's room for you to take risks. There's just room. Jesus just isn't rushed with us. He's working with us, right?